Hey, podcast listener, if you're a golfer, you're about to learn how to improve your game dramatically by focusing on the most important aspects required to play the best golf possible. If you want to learn more about this podcast or access lots of other great golfing content, head across to huntingscratch.com. Hello and welcome back to the Hunting Scratch Golf Show. I'm your host, Jay Cower. And today we're delving into putting and the topic of putting. Now, we've got a leading putting coach, uh, Mr. David Orr, who has two clients like Justin Rose and Hunter Mahan. He's been a golf coach for 25 years. He's been focusing almost exclusively on putting for the last eight or so. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge. Now, this interview is long. We speak for about an hour and a half and we cover a whole bunch of different topics around putting from green reading and your stroke and a whole bunch of different things. It's really interesting. I very much enjoyed this topic and I, I enjoy putting. So so it's actually a good topic to have. So uh, let's uh, let's get stuck straight into this interview. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back, listener. As I discussed in the top of the show, today's guest is David Orr, who runs a, a fantastic flat stick academy. Now, this obviously is all about the putter, isn't it, David? Yeah, that's uh, pretty much my focus these days. I still teach some short game and some of my previous clients some full swing, but I, I pretty much most of my instruction is these days is putting on the tour. Why is that? Um, yeah. Good question. Uh, I taught the full swing for a long time. I've been teaching golf for 25 years, and I got into putting research about nine years ago. And um, just have been studying. You know, I, I first started doing a lot of research for David Adele's company, Adele Golf, the putter fitting system, and you know, different heads, hosels, lines, etc. And then I got into doing some research on stroke patterns using Sampot Lab. And then over the last four years, my specialty has been working with Dr. Rob Neal on studying the biomechanic of different putting strokes. And what's pretty interesting is that uh, I went into this thing thinking that we would solve the mysteries of the putting stroke, but yet everybody has a different type of stroke. So uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting. But uh, the, good, the good putters are pretty efficient and very consistent with what they do. Poor putters are very inconsistent and obviously changing a lot. So, But uh, yeah, it's been really good. So for nine years, I've been kind of tackling this that thing and you know they say you're not an expert until after 10 years so i guess i got another year year or so to go but i have a feeling you know it's it's a never-ending journey of learning well absolutely and and you said off air there that um you obviously spend the early part of each week out on tour so you've obviously got some tour players that that work with you as well yes um you know i've been teaching on tour for a while i've been out there probably nine years but most notably, you know, I've been working with Justin Rose for four years now and Hunter Mahan for about three. And then, you know, the, the interesting thing about the tour gig is players come, players go, and some come back. It's just, uh, mm. especially in the short game or putting, it's a lot different than full swing where full swing, there's a lot more need for an instructor or coach all the time. You know, usually they have a contract, you know, they're at events with these players every week. So short game just a little bit different, you know. I wouldn't call myself a short game guru at all. I would say, you know, more of my expertise is in putting. But, yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've worked with over 60 tour players worldwide and uh, several players, you know, that have a world golf ranking. So uh, it's been a great experience, you know. And, um, 
you, you learn so much from your players, you know, no matter what level they are, whether they're ranked in the top 10 in the world or just your average golfer here when you're working with your clients. And uh, just been very blessed to have very good students. And uh, a lot of times our reputation as coaches is defined more by who we teach or what we teach. And, uh, you know, I'm just very fortunate that I have good students. So that, that, that makes me look good. So, but mm. uh, I, I've messed up a lot of people too. So I'm willing, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not scared to uh, admit that. <laughs> so would you say though, like um, plays come and go, some come back, should it be more like a, like a full swing coach? Um, should, 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 a, you know, should someone be getting putting, you know, coaching and instruction and, you know, more regularly than what most do? Well, most people don't take putting instructions, so the the first answer to that would be yes, but it would it's not the same as as full swing. So a lot of my clients come to see me maybe three to four times a year. Yep. You don't need somebody to watch over you every putting stroke that you make. You know what I do with my players is we identify what their tendencies are, what their stroke pattern is, what skills they need to work on, if there needs to be a putter change or not. Work on how they move the putter and teach them how to, you know, just get better. But that's the thing about it is if I taught a method or a system, I could sell this thing, right? And that's what people, it's interesting when people come to my website, they're looking for how-to information. And I think that's the problem is, you know, why don't you figure out how you do it best and you have a coach help you figure out your stroke as opposed to, okay, teach me how to make a putting stroke. Well, I mean, everybody moves it a little bit differently. If you're thinking about how to make a putting stroke, you're not going to putt well. You know, uh, you have to have your attention and your awareness on the target. You have to be able to predict the break, get the speed, hit the line. You know, then you get into the stroke. So I think a lot of golfers struggle with putting because they're just trying to figure out how to move the putter. Putting is one of those things that looks simple. My biggest statement always or quote is, if putting were simple, the majority of the population would be good at it. And the facts are that they're not. And what's interesting is they don't spend any time on it. I did a quick poll on some clients and some students, and it was interesting as I said, okay, how much putting practice do you put in in just one week? Answers ranged from none, 20 minutes, trips to the putting green just before they tee off, and then you got a few people to say, oh, maybe an hour, or, you know, and then you get some good players who would say, yeah, I practice maybe three, four hours a week. And what's interesting, I just got off the phone with uh, Pat Goss, who's Luke Donald's coach, and it's interesting is how much time Luke spends on the short game, you know, in the week, you know, and I just think golfers just don't realize that you have to putt a lot to putt well. Well, I'll just ask you, Jake, you, uh, Jake, are you a golfer? Yeah, absolutely. How much have you practiced putting this week? This week I've spent about three hours putting actually. So That's actually really good, right? So, yeah. so how can you get better at something when you only spend three hours a week at it? You know what I mean? I mean, you get you would probably improve more than most people, but I mean, some of these answers like just trips to the green before I tee off. So I think there a lot of people are looking for magic in a bottle, and it's just not going to happen. So what they do is they spend their money on new putters, changing their grip, changing the grip on their putter. You know, they're spending it in other ways rather than investing time looking on the for an green. instant. Yeah, magic in a bottle. They're looking for the magic pill or. You know, and, and, you know, sometimes you stumble onto something good. And the way I coach putting is a little different. I'm not a how-to guy. I like people to discover, acquire skill, more self-discovery, so to speak. And I, I just, I act more as a guide rather than telling, sitting there as a general telling them how to do it. 
I could understand how information would be valuable. So just, you know, be becoming more educated about, you know, a, a particular skill as a whole is going to give you more of a capability to become good at it. Um, so I can certainly understand I'm a member of Flatstick Academy and, and, and I appreciate just, you know, sitting down and watching a video in there every day or two. I was watching a, um, a lesson that you were giving, which you posted recently in the last couple of days. And it was, um, you had a student who had been tinkering and he'd started tinkering with the left hand down and you basically were able to dispel the reason why that stroke was not a good stroke for him. And then you went back to the fundamentals. You said, if you, you were to focus on, I think it was controlling your distance, you know, reading a green, I think you might've said as well, and also starting the ball on the right line, <laughs> then you'd become a much better putter. Yeah. So, you know, Phil Kenyon is a good friend of mine. He's a coach in Great Britain. He's one of the top coaches out there on the tour. And we came up with a deterministic model. Phil started it and I helped Phil with some of the stuff in there. You know, if you stay at the top, what determines whether putts hold? You have to predict the break. You have to get the speed right. And you have to start the ball in line. If golfers would practice those, that simple checklist of those three things, they would probably get better and the stroke might improve itself without you even trying to improve it just through the skill acquisition. But yeah, talking about, you know, watching those videos. So the whole purpose of Flat Stick Academy was to put some good information out there in an organized fashion. And the more educated you become, and then you go out and actually put the time, invest the time in into it, hopefully you'll start to improve. And then obviously, you know, a lot of people when they go to the website, they just go to the skills and drills channel, but they don't realize that the skills and drills channel is real simple stuff like for basic beginners. I would use Flatstick Academy this way. I'd read every article. They're all written in order, 101, 102, 103, 104. I would watch the videos. I would watch the live lessons. So A, you can see how I go about the style of coaching. B, there's lots of little nuggets. Like did you hear, you saw the nugget on that same video about the peak velocity with the dot on the ball? Yes, right. yes, being yeah, horizontal or vertical behind the ball. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So there's lots of little nuggets that are in these live lessons that people don't see because they're just in a hurry. I'll tell you what I laugh. I almost feel like giving free memberships for a 24-hour period because of the number of people that will join. They'll read everything, like speed read it, and like 150 articles in like a day or two, and then they cancel, which is fine. I don't got no problem with that. But they're missing the boat. If you just take, yep. sit down, read the articles, watch the videos, live lessons. One guy called me up and said, man, your flat stick practice challenges are hard. They last a long time. I'm like, exactly. That's what they're designed for. I mean, one of the drills lasts 30 minutes. Another one's 45 minutes. You know, I think a lot of golfers, when they practice, they don't challenge themselves enough. You know, I like to score your performance on the putting green. So I think that's all good. So yeah, I, I just think that, you know, we do live in the, these times of instant gratification. So if I click on a website, it doesn't matter where it is, could be golf works or whatever. We're looking yep. for that quick magic in a bottle fix as opposed to actually learning and acquiring better skill and, and improving or at least understanding your putting stroke. You don't have to have a perfect putting stroke because there is no such thing, but I've seen plenty of players that have great putting strokes that don't have the skill. They need to work on green reading. They need to work on not just distance control on a flat surface, but they need to practice putting on slope and, mm. and different stints. You know, like if I took you out on the putting green, I put you on a level portion of the putting green. I think you could acquire distance control relatively quickly. Yep. But if I put you on different slopes, 
Jake, I want you to stop the ball from 15 feet downhill, but then I want you to turn around and hit one up uphill 15 feet. You know, and if when you're putting on Bermuda greens, especially here in North Carolina, we have both. A 15-foot putt, a ball might roll 20 feet, five-foot pass. And then you turn around, you feel like you got to hit it 15 feet up the slope, and you come up short because of the slope and the grain. So I think golfers struggle more with stimp and slope than they do distance control. I think after a while, they can get their distance control, no problem, but... I can only use myself as um, as the example. It's that inside of ten feet, I'm relatively competent. I'd believe it. You know, after only playing for twelve months, but get me outside of you know fifteen or twenty feet, and I'm hopeless. Particularly putting uphill. Um, interestingly enough, I've got more control putting down slopes than I do um, trying to putt up a stroke. And I guess I, I go to get out there and practice my distance control quite a lot, but it's generally on a fairly flat surface. Um, so hence why I'm bad at putting up hills. Let's talk about why golfers struggle Yep. uphill versus downhill. All right. So when you're on a flat surface, okay, level or a level surface, 0.0 slope, Okay, the, the putter has loft on it, so there is a slight launch to a putt. On mm. fast greens, maybe one degree, but on slower greens in Bermuda, maybe like two and a half, okay? Yep. Now, when I'm putting uphill, there's a tendency to launch the ball into the slope rather than up the slope, okay? And when I'm yep. putting downhill because the slope's tilted away, I can get away with a poor launch. What's very important, and you can look up Dr. Paul Hurrian's research, who's another colleague of mine, the launch of a putt is very important because you need to get the ball on top, especially on Bermuda greens. Uh, bent greens, you can get away with it, especially if they're fast like Augusta or Oakmont or whatever. But golfers struggle delivering a consistent dynamic loss, especially new golfers. Because hmm. when, you're, when you have a lot of flexion extension in the wrist, you're changing the loft through impact. So your, your beginner golfer or your new golfer, or average golfer, they're not very consistent, not only delivering the face square, but delivering the loft and the dynamic loft consistently. So that's where they struggle on putting up the hill and they can get away with putting it down the hill. And then obviously level that, you know, they can get away with it. So just learning to be consistent, delivering the club head, not just the, the face open square closed, but delivering the loft. Uh, I think a lot of golfers, I, I see guys that forward press a lot that deloft the putter yep. struggle putting uphill into the green. And they think that's because, you know, that's the way their mechanics is supposed to be. Um, I'll give you a little nugget of information. When I'm on bent greens, I, I don't change my stroke very much. I just do what's normal, right? But when I'm on Bermuda greens, I do my normal stroke down grain, downhill. Mm -hmm. But on, when I'm putting uphill into the grain, I feel like I'm adding just a little bit of loft. And it gives me, gets the ball up on top. It gets the ball going up the slope. And it actually delivers a little bit more energy. So... Now, that's not going to apply to the average golfer who's already adding loft. But I'm just saying for a golfer that tends to be de-lofted in impact, they might need to feel like they're adding a little bit, putting uphill into the grain. So it all gets back to this. So I've been doing some research. I've, I'm always doing research. I've always got projects going on. And the assumption is that everybody's stroke is the same on a straight putt versus right to left and left to right. And, and um, just some of the pre-testing I've seen, they're not the same. And then my, I ask the question, should they be the same? I know logically it should be the same, but why isn't why aren't the people that I've been testing doing it the same way? So yes. I think golfers just like with the big swing, we adapt to our, our the slope, balls above our feet, below our feet, uphill, downhill. There's very subtle adaptations. So for the perfectionists out there, which I I have a struggle with that, 
um, the reality of it, you're chasing uh, something that's not attainable. You don't. You're not going to have the same aim and the same stroke on a right to left or a left to right uphill or downhill. And to think that you should, I know it makes logical sense, but is it re- reality? It does. And this is really interesting for me because I would say that I've been a, a relatively good study of the game in, as I said, being playing for, tw- playing for 12 months. So I've been soaking up as much information as possible. And I know that you, you get out there with um, with an iron and you've got either an uphill lie or a downhill lie where the, where the balls blow your feet, then um, how the ball's going to react. You know, you've got a downhill lie, it's likely going to, um, to, to, to sort of cut away off that sort of lie. Uphill's going to sort of um, curve back um, this sort of like, a um, drawback around, but I haven't actually even considered this on the putting green and it makes total sense that the same laws would apply or that there would be a set of laws that would apply to putting based on the surface. Right. And with a footnote to that, okay, with a footnote to that, we're talking very subtle changes. Yeah. Like a degree or so. One thing that I've noticed with average golfers when you give them a lesson, they overdo it. I mean, they really overdo it. I mean... Well, you sold me to add loft, and then they come back and they're adding three degrees of loft through impact. I mean, so you know, it's very subtle changes and subtle changes that can also be accommodated just by the setup, setting up to the slope, yep. balance, and how you set up to it, and and, and how you stroke it. So I, I think it's it's very subtle, and sometimes at the tour level, these are just these are adjustments that are made subconsciously. They're not consciously thinking about changing it. It's just they're they're making little mid course adjustments, so to speak. But anyway, I think improving distance control in a recap to this is A, get some distance control on a flat level surface first, number one. Number two, take that skill that you've acquired and put up the slope, down the slope, across the slope, both directions. Learn to practice your distance control in those four directions. Okay, and then if you have the opportunity, see how good you really are is to go to the municipal golf course where the greens are rolling at about a seven or eight step and yeah. go to the private club where they're rolling at about 11 or 12. Even tour players struggle when there's an extreme change. Mm-hmm. The reason why tour players putt so good is you got to remember the conditions of the greens are outstanding and the stimp does not change much between 11, 10 and a half, 11, 11 and a half, 12. And occasionally, you know, majors, they get, they get moving pretty fast, but there's not that dramatic change. The tour players aren't going from a, eight step to a 12 step. That's hard to do, especially yeah. when you're going uphill and downhill or up and overs or whatever. So that's why I tell my players, don't compare your stats to tour player stats. A, you're not putting on good conditions, as good as conditions. B, you know, if you're playing different golf courses, you're changing textures of grass, you're changing stimp all the time. So that's hard to do. I think sometimes the average golfer, when they look at their statistics, their expectations are too high and and then they really beat themselves up because they're going, well, my putting stats are terrible. Well, your putting stats are relative to where you're playing, you know. So it's uh, – I, I, I always encourage golfers to practice on different stamp greens and to get away from their home venue and, and go practice putting at different places across town. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, that makes total sense. So is there some sort of self-assessment someone can do of – their own putting abilities. Like obviously you're going to have get some good understandings from playing golf, but you have the benefit of having Sam Putt Lab and there are other products that are like Blast Motion, for instance, which is reasonable. But can like our listener today go out and perform some tests to see how they sort of stack up yeah, I mean, or what they should focus on? 
Well, how are you going to assess the three skills would be the first thing. Yep. So how am I going to assess my green rating? Well, go out there and hit 10 putts and see how many times you got the break prediction correct. Did I get the, the which way correct, right to left, left to right, or straight? And then that, did I get the break amount correct? You know, that's where you can use something like a perfect putter or a sweet roll mm. off of line. But the thing about those, they're great products, but you got to remember, those products have the true roll phase immediately. The ball's going into true roll. Well, remember, I said there's a launch to a putt. Yeah, a bit of a, yep, yeah. a hop or whatever. No, it's not, it's not a hop. The ball's airborne. You know, it, that's a fact. So the ball's airborne uh, for about, we like to use a 10% roll, but about 10 to 20% of the way. Then uh, depending on the, the spin, whether it's got backspin, sidespin, no spin, forward spin, whatever, Jury's still out on that. I've got friends of mine that argue for it and argue against it. So, But the ball's airborne, uh, goes through a skid phase where friction sets in, and then once friction sets in, the ball's into true roll. So you need to go out there and figure out. So when you're using these products, you got to remember that these products like Perfect Putter or Sweet Roll are going to give you the most amount of break, where I yep. think that really is helpful for the average golfer because they tend to underread. Hmm. So I always use a perfect putter made by Ramon Wisconsin, his father, to just kind of show people, okay, this is maximum break. And they're like, wow, that's like twice as much as I would have ever thought about. Yep. <laughs> you know, so that would be a great way to kind of assess your green rating is get the wh which way and the how much and see how many times out of 10 you can get that correct. If you're over seven, seven out of 10, you're doing pretty good. It's been a long time since I've misread which way the putt breaks, uh, how much it breaks. Um, I found Aimpoint Express to be very helpful, and I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an, a certified instructor anymore with Aimpoint. Uh, that's just because my job has changed. You know, I'm traveling with tour players and doing a lot of speaking and stuff like that. But I've always believed in the product, and the product has evolved. Matter of fact, the first Aimpoint clinic was conducted here at Campbell University with Mark Sweeney. We had 87 students, and then he went up to uh, I think it was Hamilton Farm with Mike, Mike Adams, but. You know, the principles of Aimpoint, the fundamentals are awesome. Uh, I think people argue all the time about the uh, process, so to speak. But, you know, I think Mark Sweeney's done a great job simplifying it. And uh, Which which parts, like um, specifically, which parts do you think is are, are really beneficial of the Aimpoint yeah, well, express feel, process? Well, feeling the slope with your feet, assigning yep. a value to it, 1%, 2%, mm -hmm. 3%, which is the fingers, and then adjusting the step with your arm. I mean, I don't want to go into too much of the details because that should be done. The listeners out there should go to a Namepoint Express yeah. certified instructor to do that. But uh, I'm just a, a sounding board for it. I don't get paid for it. I just believe in it. And I believe that, you know, a lot of my plastic certified instructors, that's one of the prerequisites is they have to either be a certified Namepoint instructor or they have to have attended, you know, being an attendee at one of the seminars because green reading is a vital part of what I coach. And I often recommend to my students to come see me, you know, if they live in a certain area of the country, I'll say, well, go to this instructor and learn the process. Well, they're like, well, why, why won't you teach me it? And I'm like, we don't have time during your three hour session for me to go through it. We have to work on your stroke. We need to, you know, fit you for a putter or whatever, or recommend, recommend a putter. We've got a lot yep. of things to do. So I like to delegate some of my instruction instruction to other instructors, which I don't have a problem doing. It's uh, I got over that that phobia years ago of oh my goodness, well I don't want somebody to go to somebody else because I might lose them. 
I've learned in this business a long time. Players, I learned this from Mr. Mike Shannon, who I have a lot of respect. I consider Mike Shannon and Dave Pels like pioneers in putting. Mr. Mike said this to me over a barbecue sandwich down at uh, the Sea Island in the fall at a tour event. He said, you know what, David? Once you understand that some you know, players come, players go, and some players come back. And he goes, when you can, when you can look at it that way, you'll be just fine. And, and that's what some of the greatest advice I've ever received in, in coaching. So I don't have a problem sending somebody somewhere else when I feel like uh, somebody else can help them. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where um, my co- I've I've sort of so I've not really ever studied Aimpoint Express, but my coach has Peter Croker, and he sort of I guess given me a few pieces. It's not necessarily assigning the value to the slope, but certainly through feeling slight through my feet, and it's even looking at things of uh, how the, how the grain is breaking away around the cup, and you know where's the grain. It's just a, a few of these sort of principles that have certainly helped my green reading. But um, Pete's Pete, Pete, similar to you he, he will always um, send me off to to other people if he thinks that um, I, I'll benefit from from additional knowledge um, so it's, I think it's a great a, a great way to look at it because at, at the end of the day you're probably going to come back if you resonate with a particular coach absolutely and tell Peter I said hello Peter's another one of those pioneers in the golf swing uh, a lot of people don't realize how smart that man is so said hello please I certainly will absolutely I get to spend a lot of time with him so yeah, it's and it's, he was probably the first one who introduced me to to what you were doing. So that's okay. uh, um, that's that's very good. Anyway, so we talked a little bit about green reading and what you can do to help with your green reading. What about you know your aim and your stroke? What what sort of things can you be doing to improve that? Okay, well, first of all, I've done a lot of research on aim over the years. Okay, I would check static aim first with a laser. Because when you get on a Sam Putt Lab, the, the beam is constantly changing, and then the readout on the report is the last frame before the putter moves. Impact. So, for instance, I, uh, I used to. You. Yep. Yeah, so a lot of golfers don't realize that when they look at a Sam Putt Lab report, they go, oh, I don't aim very well. No, what, mm. what it was is you might have put the putter down and aimed it fine, and then you twisted it shut in the takeaway. This used to happen yes. with my tour players. So I'd fit them with a laser, aim it right over the cup, dead perfect every time. So I started watching the beam live during the, you know, when you take the five putts and I started watching the beam and, you know, when it's green, it's less than one degree. And when it's red, it's outside of that. So I started watching the beam. And so sure enough, this tour player, he put the darn thing down. You could barely even see any line, which meant he was zero. And then you could see a little bit of green. And then just before he took it away, you could see it dip down. And, uh, and then I would watch the values of it. And then on the report, it would say it was 2.5 degrees close. Mm. So here he is on a laser. He's dead straight watch him on the beam and he twists it shut. And the reason why he would twist it shut is because he had a tendency to be open at impact. So he's actually twisting it closed because of a fear of missing it. Right. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. Same thing with myself. You know, I could aim a putter dead straight, but I used to have a, just a little bit of a forward press to a good orientation. So let me go down that path a little bit. Forward press is fine. As long as you're moving to a good orientation of the putter some people forward press and they move the putter out of a good orientation, meaning they move it, they might forward press it, deal off the putter and open it, or they might forward press it and twist it shut and close it and hood it. So forward press is fine as long as you're going to a good, consistent place. And that's one of the things you see with Phil Mickelson. When Phil's putting good, he forward presses to the same place. Some people, you know, might forward press a little bit or they forward press too much the next time. They're inconsistent with that. But uh, as far as the aim, 
So aim is a pretty interesting skill. It is not required to make a putt. So there's a lot of tour players that aim a little open, release the mm-hmm. toe, and they hit it their line. There's players that aim left, they block it on line. Aim is an influencer of the stroke. It's not a determination does not determine whether the putts hold out or not. Yep. So aim to me, it's important, but it's not as important as people make it out to be. So one of the things that I try to do is teach people to square the face at impact. And I teach them what a good a square f- club face looks like first and then what it feels like second. Yep. You'll see a video coming up here within the next week or two on that, on flat stick. Um, I use a tongue depressor and a protractor and two golf balls. <laughs> <laughs> so tongue depressor, what that does is I use double-sided tape, stick the tongue depressor to the face so people can see the, face. Plane, the plane of the face. Yep. As opposed to looking at the line or the top line or the bumpers or the cavity, I, I try to get their attention directed on the plane of the face. Yep. And then we set that down on a line on the ground and they go, okay, that's what it looks like. But now my putter looks open. Well, quit looking at the putter line quit looking at the bumpers and all that stuff. Look at the face. Learn mm. to look at what the plane of the face looks like. Okay. And then what's normal to that plane. Uh, sometimes I use Nerf darts for that too. And then once they learn what it looks like, then we put, you know, the two ball drill where you hit two balls at the same time. Yep. The tongue depressor. But I like to split the balls about maybe, I don't know, a quarter to a half an inch apart. But what here's the thing about that drill. What that drill is really doing is it's showing you which component of the putter is moving the fastest or right yes. first. It does not guarantee a perfectly square face. It's a ballpark. Okay, so if the if the ball on the outside is going the furthest or the first, it means the toe is fast. Okay, if the ball on yep. the heel side is going first, the heel is fast. So you might be blocking versus releasing or whatever. So I like to teach people a here to square the face. How do I do that? Well, it's not a how-to situation; it's a training situation. So people always say, "How do I square the face?" Uh, I say, "Hours and hours and hours of practice." <laughs> putting down chalk lines, putting through T-gates, putting through Pelts tutors, putting those two balls, whatever. And they look at me, no, tell me how to do it. I said, I just told you how to do it. You're dealing with something that is very precise and takes tremendous fine motor coordination to do. So how do I square the face? I have to practice it. So how do I practice it? Well, sometimes I have to hit one with a closed face and an open face to find what square is. Mm. So, uh, yeah, people want that fast. Hey, if people could give me a million dollars to square the club face in what, five minutes, I, I think I'd be doing a pretty good business, right? Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that's the hardest, you know, green reading to me used to be the hardest, but it's not a, it's not a Scooby-Doo mystery anymore. I mean, Mark Sweeney really has helped me a lot and other people have helped me a lot, but green reading is, uh, I think it's the fun skill to be honest with you. Um, I think then the second challenging skill is adapting your speed to different stimps and slopes. And then the hardest, most frustrating skill is, hey, the ball's not starting where I'm looking. So it might be a visual perception issue or it just might be, you know, something in the stroke. So getting on to the stroke now, we've been talking about the, the skills. Yep. People need to get accurately measured to find out what they actually do. So yep. um, I did a video called uh, the straight back straight through test. Cause I always get that question. So, you know, I put a Nerf dart on the face and I put a, 
alignment stick down. I said, okay, keep the Nerf dart perfectly aligned with the, the alignment stick. And they go, well, that feels weird. And I said, exactly. Hmm. You know, and then I said, okay, let's go find out if your path is vertical. So I go put their, the toe of the putter on the wall and I said, okay, swing the putter with the toe on the wall. So I actually did this in the Met section. This was pretty interesting. So they had about 25 people at Golf and Body during a, a presentation I was doing and a question straight back, straight through came up and I said, okay, well, let's test it. So obviously the first guy that tested, he was straight back, straight through. Now I knew statistically, you know, that about, I can't remember if it's like 8% or 11%, depends on whether you're talking about the face or the head or the shaft, but I knew there'd be a couple people, right? So I knew going into this, there'd be a couple people. So what's funny is the first guy gets up there and goes, yeah, that feels normal. So I had him stand over in one side of the room and then everybody else went through the test, toe of the putter on the wall, blah, 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 blah. And then I had him do, you know, the, the keeping the face square to the nerf dart square to the alignment stick. And at the end of the thing, there was only, this guy was almost pretty much standing by himself, except for one other guy kind of inched his way over there. So out of 25 people, you know, we only had about one or two people that were actually did this, mm. you know? So I think that's where putting is so much in the dark ages. I mean, we think of putting as like uh, two menu choices on the menu. You either get a burger or a hot dog, right? I mean, it's either straight back, straight through or arcing. Which one are you going to do? Yep. And uh, they don't realize that, you know, some people, you know, straight back and they arc it left with the face open to the path. And some pe people hood it and take it back a little shut and swing it out and hit it off the heel. You know, uh, some people have a, a slight arc to their stroke. Uh, some people have a strong arc to their stroke. Like, you know, take a, a, an Otley or a Luke Donald have a pretty strong arc. There's a lot more to putting than the, just the shape of your stroke. Yeah. So knowing that, I would, I would assume it allows you to be more consistent and I guess work with what your, I guess your natural stroke is versus so fighting against it. Stroke. Yeah. So the natural stroke is more about coordination. Right. So people always ask me, so well, which one do you teach? Well, let's figure out which way you're more coordinated. So perfect example is my wife's a non-golfer. Yep. She's left-handed. So the first test I did with her as I put a ruler down or a yardstick down and I had her putt left-handed and she put the ruler down. She goes, well, it doesn't look like it's at the hole. And she got behind it and she goes, well, it is at the hole, but it doesn't look that way. And then she mm. putted and she was really wristy, blah, blah, blah. So then I had her stand on the other side as a right-handed golfer. She goes, oh, it looks straight to me. I'm like, well, which side of the ball do you think you should stand on? So rather than me telling her, I asked her, what side of the ball do you think you should be standing on? She goes, yep. well, visually this side. I said, okay, now let me see your stroke. And what do you think happened to her wrist action? It was reduced significantly. And I said, mm. well, even though you're left-handed, what's interesting is she visually saw it better from the right side, but she was more coordinated with her hands, her arms, and her shoulders putting right-handed than she was putting left-handed. And she goes, well, is that okay? And I said, well, what do you think? She goes, well, it sure is a lot easier. And I'm like, yeah, you're making more putts right-handed. She goes, yeah, but I'm left-handed. And I said, well, there's a difference between left-handed and left-sided, you know, uh, which is another lengthy discussion in the future. But what's interesting is, so she decided that she, you know, she plays, she's played maybe 20 times in her life, that she was going to swing the golf club left-handed and putt right-handed. I said, there's nothing wrong with that. So you know, what did I do with her as a beginner? I got her to see the line accurately, correct? Yep. And I went with the motion that was most coordinated for her. And uh, that's what golfers need to figure out is, so let's talk about left-hand low. Is it a superior technique? I know a putting guru said that one time. Um, I disagree. 
I think for some people it's very good. But I think there's some things that you should and shouldn't do left hand low. Um, I've seen a, a lot of disasters left hand low, to be honest with you. Um, I, as a matter of fact, it inspired me to do a video that's coming going to be published pretty soon, the do's and don'ts of left hand low. People that putt left hand low, you do not want the golf ball back in the middle of your stance. You don't want to deal off the putter too much. You want to get the shaft at least somewhat parallel to the axis of your left lead forearm. And usually it's a lead-sided stroke, meaning you want an active left shoulder. I mean, you know, are using a right-handed perspective here. An active lead, lead shoulder, arm, and hand. You know, you don't want the trail hands more for support. So I see a lot of golf. You know, you don't want your shoulders tilted, you know, left shoulder too low or your left arm too straight. So I see a lot of lead hand people trying to go left hand low, and they're doing it so badly, so wrong. Yeah. Matter of fact, I had a girl in the other day who's going to be a freshman in East Carolina. And we got her set up lead hand low because that was the most natural for her. And you couldn't tell unless you looked at the setup that she was lead hand low. In other words, the forearms, the shoulders, everything was aligned nicely. The only thing that was is the left hand was below the right. And it was amazing how easy and elegant the stroke looked. So some people say to me, well, you don't like lead hand low. I said, well, yeah, I taught Charlie Wee you know, for a little while. And he's been the best lead hand low putting stroke I've ever seen. So... Um, Cheyenne Woods putts lead hand low and I work with her so it's not that I don't like lead hand low it's just sometimes people do some things lead hand low that really make it hard so I don't think it's a superior stroke but I think if it's natural I think if it comes natural to you you should try it yeah well that, that's interesting I'm just sort of standing up as we're talking here and just um, the notion of putting left-handed when I'm in when I'm a right-handed golfer, it just feels like if I just have my right, my, my, my lead hand low, if I was putting left-handed, it actually feels quite stable. <laughs> so it's quite interesting. But but with the opposite, I was I was on a green with Pete the other day, um, just testing at lead hand low, um, putting right-handed, and it just didn't feel like I had as much structure. So I quickly changed. But yeah, it isn't it interesting? It's a, I guess this is probably coming fully in line with what you've been doing biomechanically in terms of the study of the, the golf swing yeah and you just said a, a word that was very important you said rigid structure and you don't want to be yeah. rigid you want to coordinate it you want to coordinate the structures so it should feel coordinated so a good yep. putting stroke does not feel rigid it feels coordinated and i think we use too many robots and pendulums that are rigid structures yeah really yep. not how it works and we have tremendous amount of data to prove that it doesn't work that way so it's a coordinative structure you know, as far as like my hand and my my wrist and my form and my elbow and my arms and my shoulders, they coordinate the motion. It's not like I have to hold them rigidly in place. Yep. Matter of fact, yep. here's the problem. So I work with Hunter Mahan. I have for three years. And uh, if you reduce the degrees of freedom down to zero, it looks like a rigid motion. So with Hunter, you know, he's so talented. He'd gotten to the point where he'd gotten so rigid looking because there wasn't enough flow or coordination to the movement. Does that make sense? So when you're trying to like make sure there's no wrist action, you know, flexion, extension, and radial ulnar, like there's zero wrist, which I don't think I've seen yet <laughs> in 3D. There's always a little bit. Little, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. And there should be. But when it's coordinated with the arms and it's co coordinated with the body, the shoulders, it doesn't look wristy at all. Mm, it doesn't yep. feel wristy at all. I think people need to focus on their putting. How can I coordinate enough energy into square the face? That's how we do it. So using you know my wife example, using your example, 
you know, discover which way can I, can, does this thing feel the smoothest? Not the slowest, but the smoothest. Which way does it flow? Which, you know, is the ball starting where I'm looking? You know, that's where the, the origins of a putting stroke are is how do I generate speed and how do I get this to be coordinated and, and to get enough energy on the ball and to score the face. So it's more, like I said, it's more about the coordination, sequencing and timing than it is about trying to don't use your wrists, don't use your arms, yep. rock your shoulders. I mean, some of the, some of the talk that my students have going through their minds is, is it's, it's, that's what's keeping them from being the geniuses that they are. You know, no, like I'll say it again, I'll repeat. Okay. Lock your wrists, keep your triangle, rock your shoulders. I mean, these are so rudimentary type of terms. It's just really not how it works. So that's why golfers, I feel like, aren't getting better as putters is, is the information in putting has just been really kind of old and stale. Yeah, well, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, if you were a robot or a piece of machinery, it would make sense that you can keep that structure because uh, the machine has been built to keep that structure, but the human body hasn't. Yeah, there's no degrees of freedom in a robot. Yep, yep, you know? exactly. And so what's interesting is this. So here's a great analogy. Steph Curry, unbelievable shooter, right, in the NBA. Yep. Now, he's very consistent when the ball comes off his index finger. Ball has the right, yep. right trajectory, spin launch angle, whatever you want to call it, right energy, right? But if you look, the way he shoots is different each time. Mm -hmm. So he's consistent at the other end where it's important, where the putter head would be. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Do you follow what I'm saying? So yep, it's, absolutely. It's, it's, the putter it's, yep. head would be, but Impact. adapting where, you know, how his arms and his shoulders coordinate the movement. So yeah. And so that that's what experts do. Dr. Rob Neal gave me that analogy that, you know, experts are, are very consistent, very low variability at the putter head end, but there's lots of variability at the other end. Yep. You know, so one of the things that I always tell my students is, you know, it's okay to be moving uh, your feet a little bit at address and, and kind of moving your fingers a little bit on the grip so that you're kind of your body knows where you are, you know, and you know where the club is and then you can get a little bit of flow and, you know, the good players through, you know, just hours and hours of putting down chalk lines and, Put tee gates and they learn to square the face and they learn to put the right amount of energy on the ball. So, is this where the mental game sort of starts to come into play? Like being able to, I guess, put yourself in a state. I know it's with the full swing that I'm swinging best when I'm not having any thoughts, but or not any thoughts apart from hit that ball. Basically, is that where sort of the mental game, you know, to remove those those thoughts of mechanics, is going to help the putty? Well, so. If you notice, you know, the mental state is one of the seven principles of the yes. putting template. It, yep. So what if I told you it's all an inside job, as my friend Chris Smith would say? It's not that you need to stop thinking. It's that yep. you need to quiet down your thoughts yep. and get clarity in your thoughts and be clear on what you intend to do. You know, and it's more about how you think rather than, than what you think. Stop thinking you'd be dead. <laughs> if you weren't thinking, you're brain dead, correct? Yep, Absolutely. Yeah, so I think what it is, and this is what's interesting about what a lot of the mental coaches that I get exposed to and some of the neuroscientists that, that I am not even close to being an expert at, finding that right mix for each person is is pretty interesting. Like Debbie Cruz is doing a pretty interesting product. Um, I think it's called OptiBrain or whatever. OptiBrain yeah. with the muse. Yeah. yeah, exactly, with the muse. And then their focus band, I think, does left brain, right brain. But it's really interesting how – you know, you can sit there and show a student, look, you're all red. That means you're thinking too much, yeah, you know, yeah. and then you show them blue and go, 
that shot was good, right? Yeah, see? So, I mean, it's just finding, I mean, at the end of the day, and this goes back to your instincts, is finding out what really works for you. And I think instinctively yeah. when we picked up the golf club for the first time, and as we're going through this learning process, like when you are with your coach, you're starting to feel, you know, mm. what works and what doesn't work for you. You know, yep. Peter's guiding you through your golf swing, but you're the one that's actually the architect of it. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? So getting back to the question, I think golfers treat mental as if it were separate. Yep. Like I'll get to that part where they don't realize that the mental is actually in the inside job. That's what's doing the, all of it. I, I think golfers right now, and, and rightfully so, I mean, you know, we, we tend to want to learn the how to, okay, how do I move this putter? You know, and how do I grip it? And how do I set up to it? And how do you want my feet? And how do you want me to take it back? And what do you want me to take it through? And that's why they don't get better. And that's what's really disappointing about my website, unfortunately, is I don't have how-to information on it. And I think yep. it shocks people. And they're like, well, this website sucks. They're not going to tell me where to put my feet. They're not going to tell me mm. where to put my ball. You're not going to tell me where to put with my right hand or my left hand. You're going to tell me to put with my shoulders. So I don't think they get it. But like I said, you know, on the front page, it's the future of putting instruction. It's not the current day putting instruction. And the problem is the current day putting instruction is in the dark ages. So that's what's so cool about the site is I'm setting it up for the future. I'm not trying to sell people a bill of goods where, okay, here, put the ball here, grip it like this, take it back with this, and take it through with that. And then it's going to work for everybody. Because I know based on the research that Dr. Rob Neal and I have done and Phil Kenyon, it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. And what's interesting is I can go learn a new golf swing, but my old tendencies are always either interfering or showing up occasionally. Same thing on the putting stroke. You can go learn. There's no such thing as a bulletproof putting stroke. Because I'll tell you what, yeah, on the putting green in a safe environment, yeah, you can do the new stroke. But I guarantee you when you got to mm. make that little $100 NASA on the 18th hole or you're playing a game of wolf or whatever it is, you're going to miss that little knee knocker and those wrists are going to kick in just like they yep. always have. So I've said this on Cordy's show, uh, yep. Cordy Walker, who's just outstanding interview guy. Golf instruction as a whole has never been better. Never been better. You got great coaches out there. You got great information out there. But what's interesting is the game is a hard game and golf courses are hard. You know, they started making golf courses hard in the late 90s and early 2000s. They're just too long. It, t it takes too long to play. Greens are too difficult to putt. Yep. I'm 40, about to be 48 years old. Neck surgery, bad knee, bad left thumb, yada, yada, yada. I have so much fun going out and playing three holes from the white tees. It's unbelievable. You know, just go out for 45 minutes, play three yeah. holes get my three pars and looks at some birdies and I'm having a, I'm having a great time, but I don't have time to go down to the golf shop, rent a cart. Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> uh, Cause I walk and play a six hour round of golf and, you know, I'm frustrated with the slow play. I'm frustrated how long the golf course is. I'm frustrated with the group in front of me and I'm fr frustrated with the group behind me. And you know, my phone's ringing and the golf instruction is better I've been in this business for 25 years. I mean, I've come through the ages where it was just everything was by feel. You know, you just putted by feel and yeah. you either had it or you didn't have it or, you know, or you went to somebody that was a good putter and you wanted to learn their way, you know, so you go learn this, yes. right? Well, their way works for about two weeks. And then golf schools were hot. 
you know, and, and putters, you know, putters came out and you'd buy another putter, or you change the grip and, you know, and then technology started to come about with like the Sam Putt Lab and the Tommy and the, you know, you got all these things, but people got to remember, so you can't compare Prius to a Tesla. They're not the same car. No. Yep. Right. So you can't compare the accuracy of a blast motion, which I think is a great for the money. I think it's a nice little tool. In the Ping app, also, that's a nice little tool. But people are arguing over tenths of a degree in their accuracy on these little $200 devices. I mean, heck, I've got two Sam Putt Labs and a GBD. I've got probably 60K or more invested in putting technology just sitting here in my lab at my yep. house or next door. So you want to start talking about tenths of a degree. So, But I think you know, putting instruction, it's getting there, it's getting there, but it's not like full swing. Full swing, these people know what's going on. It's, it's, it's pretty cool watch and uh but you know putting's gonna get there and that's kind of what my my goal is with flat stick certification is to get people that love to coach putting better information get them to be better at coaching the individual and you know to change that paradigm of straight back straight through and arc putting as if that's putting uh, straight back straight through do you know how hard it is biomechanically to do that <laughs> you know you, people wonder why they pull putts because they're trying to keep the face square to the target line. Yeah, um, fighting. Yeah, they're fighting, fighting against themselves all the yeah. way. But, you know, I'm not saying flare the thing wide open either. <laughs> but, you know, putting, it's coming. It's coming. I mean, aim point's been a huge, I think the junior golfers, that's where we're going to see it in that generation. These junior golfers are going to be great green readers and they'll be able to adapt to stamp and slope. And then if they don't get too hung up in stroke mechanics and, and realize that it's an inside job, like Chris Smith says, and, and uh, they'll figure it out. But, you know, golf's, yeah. golf's a great game. I mean, gosh, it's so hard, right? Um, I no, it is. Yeah. I, I joke I joke with the basketball and football coaches here at Campbell University. I say, you guys think you, – you guys all want to do what we do. You know, all these football players and basketball players wish they could play golf. You know, <laughs> you know and us golfers wish we could dunk a basketball and play quarterback at Notre Dame, right? But it's uh, – golf's the hardest game in every aspect of it. And putting – uh, unfortunately has been one of the biggest lies in the game of golf, meaning that it's simple. It's not. It's very precise. It's very frustrating. Missing a little three-footer can really wear on you for years, especially in the situation. But yet, you know, you can get better at it. You know, I was not a good putter. Um, I joke all the time. One of my biggest jokes when tour players would come, I'd say, why are you coming all the way to Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, to listen to a guy that could not putt? Could not putt. You know, <laughs> but uh, I've gotten better. You know, I've gotten better through better green reading, better understanding. Yep. Uh, I don't tinker with putters anymore. Uh, occasionally, I've got two that I go to. They're subtly different, but they're always the same head, hosel, whatever. Um, and that's another thing. It's not about the brand. It's not about the brand. It's, it's just getting a configuration that works with you. And, you know, some people say, well, the putter doesn't matter. Some people are selling you on the idea that the putter matters. Every, everything matters. You know, for some players, putter matters, and some for some it doesn't. Like, you know, with Justin Rose, I mean, we found out that he was reacting and adapting to whatever he was looking down at. You yep. know, uh, that's why he tends to do better with a blade with his conventional stroke, and he does better with a mallet when he's doing his little claw or whatever you want to call it. Which which is interesting, just in some of the testing I've done with my players. You know, the pencil or the claw grip are. I think almost a better alternative than left hand low, unless the left hand left low, low feels yeah. very natural to you. 
So I think those are really good ways to putt, even though they look a little little different. But there's some there's some interesting. I think I think where the guys struggle with the claw and the and the pencil grip type stuff is they do better on the short mid range stuff, but it's the lag putting that's a little yeah that needs a little more work. You know, so it's it's kind of like pick your poison. You want to be good short in and then have to work on your lag putting. That sounds like a good deal. Or do you want to have great touch and then you know shiver on them short ones? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, putting's not easy, but you can get better at it. That's for sure. And you don't need a perfect stroke to get better at it. Well, let's let, let, let's face it. You can roll a putt perfectly and start it on a perfect line and just be out, right? And and miss the putt. But conversely, you can you can roll it perfectly and you know just be short an inch in terms of the roll and be out on your read and go into the hole. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, well, it's an integration of all of those things. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you have to learn to do that. And yeah. in order to do that, you're going to have to get outside on the putting green and not just the practice green. So one of the things I tell my players a lot is, yeah, you look great. You look like Houdini on the practice green. <laughs> get out there in competition. Competition, yeah. Or even if it's competing with your foursome, for crying out loud. Yep. Even if it's, say, you got four buddies, they play golf every Friday morning at 8 o'clock, obviously practice on the practice screen, but go put this thing to test out there when you're playing for a dollar or two or whatever, a drink or martini or a Coke or a sweet tea or an Arnold Palmer or whatever you're playing for, it doesn't matter. That's the thing that I miss the most. You know, embracing the butterflies, as Mm. Ben Cruz would say. You know, embracing, you know, I miss that. That's what I miss about competitive golf is I miss feeling that way. Because I, I loved it. A lot of people look, well, I don't want to be nervous. I'm like, what are you? If you're not nervous, then you're dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're not, you're not living. That's the fun part. And when you can overcome, that's one of the greatest feelings too, is yeah. to make a putt to overcome a previous miss or fear or whatever. But that sense of overcoming is, is awesome. And that's one of the things, that's, I think that's one of the reasons why I do love putting and I do love coaching. I can't believe I'm saying I love putting. Isn't that amazing? Because <laughs> uh, I used to be such a full swing geek, golf machine, yeah. more yeah. putt and you know, hit 500, 600 balls a day and play. But I love to putt. You know, that was subconscious. I mean, I love to putt, and I love to watch people get better at it. So, so tell me, um, random versus block practice for 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 putting, yeah, which block, is yeah, block. So and I got a mix. So I do block, block, random, and random. Yep. Okay. So block putting, if you're working on acquiring a fundamental yes, or a skill. So like putting down a chalk line yep. with a protractor, a square club face, or putting through two T gates, block practices to acquire a new skill or to refine a skill. Yep. Now the mushroom drill, which is one of my favorites, is a block random practice. So you snap a chalk line, you draw a right angle with a protractor on the chalk line for your face. You hit five putts down it, okay? And then yep. you put five putts down a chalk line, and then you go putt one random putt from five feet, and then you come yep. back, you hit five more down the line. Then you go putt another one from a different angle, and then you another five. So you hit a total of like 25 putts down the chalk line and then five random putts. So that's a mm. random practice. Uh, yep. That was one of those drills that Hunter really liked because he likes to – the security is in the block practice – and yes. history is in the random practice. Yep. Yeah, yeah I, c- I can see how I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy that. Uh, I, I, um, no, of course. You go get yeah. five down the line and you build up your confidence. And then if you miss yep. it, you go. Yeah, so. Test it out. Yeah. Yep. 
Now, the uh, ultimate mid-range drill that I did from 15 to 25 feet, you know, that's kind of a block random drill as well. Remember, I took the four piles of 13 golf balls. It's 52 putts. And you putt to an uphill right to left, uphill left to right, downhill left to right, and downhill right to left. So you're standing in the middle of four holes. Mm -hmm. And that's more of an endurance test. But also you'll notice I gave myself a point for every putt that finished past the hole. Hmm. So you're improving your lag putting at the same time. Yes. Yep. That makes sense. So, and then my favorite type of practice is actually old school, which is I like to compete against players. So I'll, I'll pick somebody up on the putting green, maybe one or two people and say, all right, um, you know, we could play part two or we could play one of my favorite games with a, a lot of people is a game called knockout where you form a circle around a hole with like eight or nine people Yep. You know, everybody places a tee three steps from three paces from the hole and the person whoever is the oldest starts and what you're trying to do is you're trying to knock each other out as you go around and mm. last man standing is the one that wins so you know i love competitive practice um i think competitive practice is gives you kind of somewhat the feeling of being out there yeah. and that's the thing about the mental part that i talk with mental coaches all the time I'm sorry, I've played this game. You know, I played the mini tours. You can visualize all you want on the range. It's not the same thing as being on the golf course. You can. Nah, it isn't. It's no. not the same. I'm sorry. No. It's not. No. You know, um, you don't get the same butterflies and the same electricity. And, you know, I, I mean, you've played golf for what, 12 months now? Have you ever yep. noticed your fingers feel different tomorrow than they did today? You know, your feet don't feel right. Your shoes don't yeah, feel right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Everything feels right. com- completely know, the, foreign. <laughs> the glove doesn't fit right. Matter of fact, I'm looking down. Matter of fact, you can go play in a tournament and you look down and the club face is closed. And you look at your <laughs> yeah. grip and you're going, well, that doesn't feel yeah. right. So that's, yeah. the, I mean, that's the stuff that happens in the environment that good players learn to adapt to. And and yeah. and, and your your average golfer just struggles with. I mean, I I can grip it great you know, on the practice range. But I mean, I've been out there, golf, look down and go, man, my hands don't even look right. My elbows don't look right. They're just out of, I feel like, you know, Gumby today. But it's, I'll sit here in my office and putt on the carpet and just have a beautiful stroke and have fantastic distance control and move out onto the, onto the first, first green. And it just feels, I feel like Gumby. I feel like (laughs) I, I can't, I can't replicate that exact same feeling that I have on the carpet, which I can basically just pick up a putter and drop straight into that feeling. (laughs) So what if I told you not being able to replicate it is normal? Yeah. Yeah. That that's the thing. It's normal. We think we can set up exactly the same. If I put this eight sensor GBD system on you, you could set up similar, but you can't set up the same. Yeah. So I always liken it to chocolate chip cookies. You can put the same ingredients in, but not all the chocolate chips are going to look the same. You know, they're not going to be on the same place. Exactly. Yeah. So what are the ingredients to a good pre-putt routine? You visualize what a good putt would look like going in the hole. You visualize your target, whether it's a spot or a curve. It's you know, people always ask me about yep. spot or curve. I'm like, do you hey, do you pin bowl or do you spot bowl or do you do both? Yeah, you know, that it's not a right or a wrong. It's which one captures your attention mm. the best. Then after that, walking in, do you take practice strokes? You know, for a person that's trying to coordinate the movement of their hands, their arms and shoulders, you might want to take a practice stroke or two. You know, if you're not that style, maybe you don't need a practice stroke, but it, it's still up to you. 
It's not a right or a wrong. And that's one thing I wish the students would as a just there's not a correct way. There's not a the way to do this. You know, it's like people say, should I use a line or not? Well, does it help you? <laughs> they look at me. <laughs> well, close in it does. Yeah, but it doesn't help you on a slope. Well, why don't you use it close in then? I think we've been hammered that putting is like free throw shooting. Well, we're not hitting a 15-foot putt to a goal that's 10-foot high every time. Yeah. We? Yep, in in a stadium with no wind. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like a free throw. It's more like shooting jumpers and layups and yeah, exactly. reverse yep. layups and fadeaways and a free throw. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's more random than free throw. You know what I mean? Way more random than three free throws. You know, it it's not supposed to feel exactly the same, but if you can get it as similar as possible, that'd be fine and embrace the fact that it's going to be a little different and that you just adapt, you know, mm. that's what you do. So, um, but yeah, putting's a, putting's a pretty cool thing. Uh, putter fitting is a new arena, I think David Adele does a great job. He's got a great putter fitting system. Uh, there's a few other guys out there that do a great job with putter fitting, but it's still too new. It's it's kind of like this. I've gotten driver fit by two different OEMs, you know, and it's amazing how my one driver has a certain loft and a certain shaft profile, and then I got fit by another company, major OEM. I'm not going to mention their names. Completely different law, completely different shaft profile, file, but they produce good ball flight. Yeah. You know, so I think putter fitting is the same way. You know, as long as you're getting a basic fit of your of your length and your line, your loft, that's a good place to start. If you're into head head designs, if you're pulling some putts, maybe try, try a mallet. If you're pushing some putts, maybe try a blade. But there's no set rules. I mean, it's not like, you know, I think everybody's trying to do everything like Joseph A. Bank. I mean – you know, I go to Joseph A. Bank and they say you're a, you know, you're a 42 regular. And then I go down to the gentleman's store down here and they say, well, in this brand, you're a 43. Mm-hmm. And in this brand of jacket, you're a 42, but we got to let the armpits out a little bit. You know, so it's kind of like people when they come out, I, I want to be fit for a putter. I want to be fit for my stroke. And it's like, well, let's start with a basic fit first. Yep. And then and see how you perform, see how it works. And here's the thing about it. It's not like even if you got that fit putter, that you're going to be better. It's just you have a better chance. Yeah. <laughs> does that yeah. make sense? Well, that, yep, it does. It's and it's it's almost like a complete peace of mind as well. Oh, I think that's you just hit there. It is. Yeah, exactly. You got less less going on in the brain when you're looking down yep. there, and and you know, it's one time I had a gentleman come all the way down from Pennsylvania to get fit for a putter. And I didn't fit him, and he and he was really mad that I wouldn't fit him for a putter. And I said, I can't fit you for a putter because you're not in the same posture every time. You're not in the same, mm. you, you know. One time you're upright, one time you're conventional, and sometimes you're standing nine inches from it, and other times you're standing twelve inches from it. You know, sometimes your hands are. I mean, he was really erratic, so I couldn't fit. How can you fit somebody that's all over the place, right? Yep. Yeah, one could argue if I fit him to a certain length putter and a certain lie that it would help him get into the same the same position each time or similar position. But I tried that and it still didn't work. It was just the guy had really no real concept of learning to stand relative to the golf ball. Yeah, he was always trying to stand relative to the target, which is another little nugget I'll share with you guys. 
a lot of people are trying to align themselves to the hole. Mm-hmm. The only thing that you align to the hole is a club face. Okay, we stand. Yep, we stand perpendicular. We don't stand parallel. We stand perpendicular to the start line. So we set the face. We take our grip, and we set our stance. That would be the order. I think a lot of golfers get it in the reverse order. They come in, they try to aim their body sideways, and they're trying to figure out how to set their feet. And they set their feet first, and then they take their grip and they put the putt. Take it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got to do one of my little skits. That's one of the things I might start doing on Flat Stick Academy because the kids that here at Campbell, they're always like, "Mr. Orr, do one of your skits. Like, do your little old man putting skit." <laughs> <laughs> do your do your do your redneck putting skit or whatever. So I got these little skits that I do that I might do, need to do like little short takes. But you know what I do is I'm imitating all the things that the amateur golfers. It's not that they're doing them wrong, but they're really making themselves getting in some weird p- positions at dress. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I need to I need to be reminded to do that. But there is a way if you watch the pattern, the way guys walk into the ball. Not everybody, but the vast majority, they get the putter oriented take their grip set their stance take a few practice strokes and then they set the putter again and then they kind of regrip a little bit maybe and then they keep their feet moving they don't set themselves in there like concrete and uh you know like i said earlier you need to keep moving a little bit you can't be just rigidly still over a putt i think some guys get too still you know so still well, with I, back. I can imagine that would help with balance yeah because you know you, you, again you, you're not a machine so there's no perfect balance position in the human body you always sort of so i would imagine it just it does even when you're standing still if you if our listener was to stand up right now and focus on their balance you would find that you're actually just swaying ever so slightly to actually maintain your center of balance great drill all right great drill that i give people so they can get aware of the communication between their feet and their brain is to take a yoga mat or a feather pillow and putt while they're standing on a yoga mat barefoot Mm. because the yoga mat's almost the same height as the sole of your shoe so you're off you're off the ground the same amount yep so put on your yoga mat and you can feel yourself sway mm. or thrust or pull away or go down. You can feel your ba- sense of balance. Um, yep. I used to use noodles and stuff, but people had such a hard time getting balanced on a noodle. I'm like, <laughs> all right, we got to make this simpler. Let's give them just feedback in their feet. Cause I use body track by Terry Hashimoto, which is a really yep. great pressure mat, very affordable and very good uh, for, you know, just feeling vertical forces in their feet and their balance mm-hmm. so you know i call the yoga mat the poor man's body track that's my joke <laughs> so a lot of players will come in and use my body track and they'll go man how can i get one i'm like hey just here get your poor man's get your poor man's body track or <laughs> and they go, what do you mean by that go go to go to walmart and get your yoga mat so it's a it's a great way for the player to get some feel for balance and some feel for any movement and that the movement is normal. It's just when it's too excessive. Golfers look like they're staying still, but it's just that they're they're moving just a little bit. A little bit, yeah. You know, they're not swaying all over the place or thrusting back toward their heels a ton. And you know, that's the thing too is when you're looking at a at a good player, you know, you say, oh well, he's rocking back towards his heels. Well, players that have a strong arc are going to tend to have some foot pressure changes. You know, if you've got an arc thrusting in around your body and around your body, there's going to be some changes. So you sit there and you try to, 
well, get him more balance. He shouldn't be moving like that. Next thing you know, he's gone from being a strong arc, mm. slight arc, and now the face is open to the path, and he's not used to managing that. So yep. that word supposed to and, and being correct, those are those have become like uh, swear words in my coaching. <laughs> and what's funny is my stepfather was a commanding officer of a boiler room in, in the Navy in World War II. So I'm used to what sailor language, sailor mouth is all about. So it, it's funny, you know, being correct and doing it correctly and do it the way you're supposed to. And those are all become swear words in my book. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do it. You know, one of the things I've had to, it's like I've had to reword the word perfect is I try to substitute the word perfect with excellence. Excellence. Yep. Yeah. So that was an excellent putt. Or, you know, that was excellent skill or excellent touch. You know, that's kind of the, you know, some of the you know, the semantics that I have to re- retell the story in my own head. So uh, that, that is quite a subtle but pretty powerful change, just even that word, because perfect indicates to the student that they need to replicate that last stroke, whereas excellent doesn't necessarily give that same connotation. Well, there's less, there's less, um, shackles there's Mm. perfection there's shackles you know there's yeah absolutely you're just in shackles you're trying to be perfect which you can't be but being excellent involves growth you know that was an excellent putt that was an excellent stroke you know versus that was a perfect stroke uh well that's just your own ego calling it a perfect stroke because i bet you if we had down the sam pot lab it wasn't perfect (laughs) you know Uh, it was efficient you know, so learning these semantic words, you know, people say, eh, just semantics. Well, you know, you have to rewrite your story. So they call history, it's his story, right? You have to rewrite your story when you're a bad potter and you want to become a good potter. You got to kind of rewrite the story in your own mind, you know? Uh, it's like yeah. I accidentally said to you, I love potting. Well, where, <laughs> where did that come from? Because I'll tell you what, 20 years ago, I didn't love putting. Uh, so you have to rewrite the story, and that's the beautiful thing about it is as you're learning and growing and getting better is uh, you're not the same cat that you were 20 years ago or whatever. You know, you're not the same player. And, and that, you know, people want Tiger to go back to his 2000 swing. Well, you can't go back to your 2000 swing. You know, you can use your 2016 swing, and it may, might be similar to the 2000 swing, but – the guys had how many back surgeries and how many knee surgeries. And yeah, exactly. It's not going to be the same. You know, it's been a great experience coaching this game, and it's been a great experience learning from the best players in the game. And, and uh, you know, most people assume that your best student is, you know, the highest-ranked player. You know, Justin Rose has been a wonderful player and a wonderful student and a wonderful friend, and uh, his family has been wonderful. You know, but just because their ranking doesn't mean they're a better student. I've had some great yep. students that were just here at the club. You know, people you've taught for ten years. Um, it's about relationships, and that's one of the things I told Cordy. You know, with teaching golf, it's it's not just what you teach; it's the relationships that you establish. You know, like you said, you know, pe- people coming back and watching them get better. Back back when Doctor Broadhurst here, who was a professor at Campbell University, came to me. You know, he said, "I want to play golf," and I said, well, what's your, what was the score you shot? He goes, 125. I said, well, how good do you want to get? He goes, well, I want to beat the dean. I said, well, that's <laughs> So, you know, I had him come every morning with a couple junior golfers every morning before class, give them a 15-minute lesson. But yep. we're working five days a week for 15 minutes. So he beat the dean within about six months. Then he wanted to break 100. So after about a year and a half, he broke 100. He wanted yep. to break 90. 
you know, and then we backed it off to about three days a week. And, you know, he broke 90 after a couple of years and then eventually wanted to break 80, right? And then, of course, what do you think the next story is? He wanted to break par, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he did. He shot, I think he shot 70. So, you know, people can look at my work with Justin Rose. You know, we did win seven times. And, and Justin, you know, to his credit, you know, I have such a small role in what he does. But, you know, Dr. Broadhurst improved from 125 to shooting 70. Yeah. Who had the, who had the most <laughs> improvement? Yeah. You know what I mean? So what's what, you know, Dr. Broadhurst now probably what in the seventies and, you know, just shooting in the seventies is a great day. So, yeah. but, yep. uh, you know, it's, it's about relationships and it's about growth. It's about watching people acquire skill and get better. It's not about perfection and, and, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and one thing that I've just learned the hard way is I'm not for everybody. I get that. And it's okay. You know, if people come and take a lesson and, they don't like it. That's okay. I mean, I got to spend three hours with them with their life or whatever and got to know them and, you know, where they lived and where they went to school, and what they studied and who their parents are. I mean, it's about relationships. That's what, that's what living's about. It's not about, you know, whether I got the best lesson ever, you know, if you can communicate and, you know, get your message across and, and, you know, you help some people and you, and you, and you hurt some people. And, and the intent though, you know, every time I will, I will say this, every time I give a lesson, for 25 years, I've tried to give everybody my best. I've never just stood there yeah. and said, okay, bend your right knee and that's $20, thanks. <laughs> you know, or keep your head down. Okay, so yeah, you want me to charge that to your member account? I've never yeah, been that yeah. way. I've always given my energy and and uh, I've even argued with students and fought with students. And, you know, matter of fact, your closest students you fight with a lot. So <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Yeah, so, but uh, anyway, any any other questions or this? No, that's I think that's this has been fantastic. As I said, it was very very insightful. I think, um, well, I'm a member of Flat Stick Academy, so certainly our listener, if you've got an interest in improving your putting, you should um, check it out. Which is obviously at flatstickacademy.com, isn't it, David? Yes, and you know, here's the thing too. Like I yep. said, Flat Stick's not for everybody. You can check it out for nine ninety nine. If you don't like it, cancel it. It's not going to hurt yep. my feelings. I totally get it. So it's what I would do is, you know, for 10 bucks, I think it's, uh, I've only had one guy ever complain saying that it was not worth $10. <laughs> I'm going, wait a minute, $10. How much does a golf magazine cost? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, check it out. And if you don't like it, I mean, it's, it's no problem. It's all good. I mean, and I, I think the way you use it is going to be more important. Uh, so just going through that real quick. Don't just go there looking at the skills and drills channel. Cause then you're going to just cancel anyway. What I want yeah. you to do is go. Read some articles. Read them in order because they're written in order. Uh, everything's organized under seven different principles, and I have articles under there. Then go watch live lessons so that you can get a style for uh, – see the style which I coach. And, and I guarantee you, you're not going to hear the same lesson uh, from each person. And that's one thing that, uh, that I try to, to make sure of, that, that my lessons are exclusively for that person. And like yeah. that Jacob Smith kid did that lesson – now, he'd been tinkering, and if you go watch the lesson before, I didn't tell him the exact same things either. But you know, sometimes when your player gets in that tinkering mode, you got to get them out of it. And uh, so, but anyway, check it out, watch the live lessons, and then do some of the challenges or whatever. And, and just realize I'm putting content up there, you know, pretty much when I'm home every three days. Yeah. And you can tell when I'm not home because there wouldn't be a post there for a week. So that's when I'm on the yeah. road. So, but like I said, if, if, if listeners out there want to check it out, feel free to, 
And like I said, if you cancel it, no big deal. I get it. But uh, And then if there's any requests, sometimes I get emails. People want to say, well, hey, would you do a video on this or would you talk about that or write an article about this? I'd be glad to do that um, because it always gives you content to put out there. And Yeah. And, uh, but uh, Jake, thanks for having me. And, uh, no worries. We'll cross paths one, one day. And tell Mr. Croker I said hello. Uh, back in the day, he was, you know – He's one, he was one of the bright minds and still is. So just tell him hello from me, okay? Absolutely, Will. Absolutely. David, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. Listener, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'll Absolutely. speak again very, very soon. Thanks, Jake. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, podcast listener. If you want to learn more about this podcast or access lots of other great golfing content, head across to huntingscratch.com. See you soon.